once was led like a lamb to be slain. He would suffer and bleed, so his world of lost sheep would be safe in God's fold once Sandy Rios with you on this Good Friday, and uh, once a year, uh, maybe twice a year, I sing for you, and that's one of the songs that I recorded many years ago, My Shepherd, My Shepherd Became a Lamb. It occurs to me when I hear that, uh, there was a one time in my neighborhood when my kids were small, I had a neighbor across the street who was Greek, uh, and uh, I loved her, but I tried to tell her about Jesus and of course, she had some religious training, but I brought it to church with me one Sunday, and the entire message was about the Lamb of God. And I thought it was a powerful message. And after the service, and maybe that week, we talked about it, and she had completely, it, it was completely, it was Greek to her, shall I say? It was all Greek to her, because she had no idea what the pastor was talking about. Lamb of God, the Lamb, the Lamb of God, she had no idea. So, you know, it's kind of my 
goal today to make it clear to all of you, maybe give fresh thoughts to some of you who have been Christians for years, and this is familiar talk, maybe too familiar. And to others of you who really don't know Jesus, you like the show, but you don't really know. When I start talking about that, you don't really, you're not tuned in. It's not that important to you. Uh, Maybe some of you have a casual understanding of who Jesus is. You think you have a good understanding. Uh, I want us to all talk about it because there's always something to learn. I have great uh, Sunday school teachers. They are my very dear friends, Alan Bobby, and I'm going to uh, give them tribute this morning for giving me ideas for this show because they are Jewish believers in Jesus. We've been studying in Isaiah, which has just been wonderful. And for those of you that don't know, Isaiah was written like 700 B.C. Jesus wasn't born till zero, you know. This was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. And so we're going to talk about Isaiah a little bit. One of the things that you probably know all about is, uh, well, the movie, The Ten Commandments. I don't care how old you are. You've probably seen it with Charlton Heston. Uh, And if for no other reason you know about Passover from that movie, because uh, Pharaoh, the Jewish people, were in bondage to, in Egypt, to the Pharaoh. They'd been in captivity for decades. And so... They cried out for deliverance, and God sent them Moses, who was their, who, who he designated as a prophet. It's a great story. That's why they made a movie out of it. Uh, but uh, Pharaoh, who was like the king of Egypt, would not let them go. He just wouldn't. And God sent all kinds of plagues, 10 as a matter of fact, uh, to try, it was locusts and, and um, all kinds of things, you know, frogs and all kinds of plagues to try to get them him to release the Jewish people from bondage, and he wouldn't do it. And the last thing that he sent was the death angel. The death angel was to kill, take the lives of the firstborn sons in every house. Well, think about that. Think about that. Your first grandson, your first man-child, uh, that's the, the uh, death angel was going to do that, and he did that, actually. But God instructed the Israelis, the Israelites who were being held in captivity to put to kill a lamb and to put the blood of that lamb on their doorpost outside their homes and he promised them that the death angel would pass over and that's exactly what happened and so that was the last plague pharaoh let them go that was a little bit too much he lost one of his sons maybe more but um he let them go. He'd had it, and that was the last plague. And so they, they were released, and they were freed. And the, God instructed them to celebrate the Passover every year, and so they did for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, until the, death, until the coming of Jesus Christ, okay? So, and that was, the significance of that was the Last Supper in the New Testament was the last Passover. That was the last time the Jews had celebrated a Passover, which was only uh, a shadow of what was really to come, of the reality. And of course, on that day, when Jesus carried his cross through the streets of Jerusalem and was mocked, um, he actually became the Lamb of God uh, who took away the sins of the world. He became the Passover Lamb. The Lamb was a foretelling, a shadowing of that final. It turned out to be a man. It was the Son of God who was going to be the ultimate 
Lamb of God, who was sacrificed, the blood of Jesus caused the death angel to pass over each of us and for future generations. This particular day, Good Friday, is a a memory of that day when Jesus went to the streets carrying his cross, when he was beaten and arrested and tried, three different trials, and then crucified on that cross. You know, nothing really paints the picture for me better than music. Uh, And one of my favorite artists of the 80s, when I I was an artist myself, but I love to listen to other really fine artists, those that were anointed, and Twyla Paris was one of those. Uh, Twyla's music was just really, uh, she knew Jesus, and it came out, uh, the Holy Spirit was so powerfully, um, so powerfully moved you in the hearing of her songs, and she wrote this wonderful a song called Lamb of God. In fact, I used to sing it myself. This is, I think, before I ever recorded any kind of music, music myself. Uh, and I just loved this song because she talks about just the, the pathos, what, what he actually did, what it meant, the sacrifice that he made. Um, the, and she does it with such feeling, and that I wanted you to hear it. So that's one of the songs I've chosen today. In fact, we're going to do a number of songs today. I hope you enjoy them. But First of all, just sit back and listen to Twyla Paris singing Lamb of God. Your only son, no sin to hide, but you have sent him from your
It's Sandy Rios back with you on this Good Friday, and we're going to enjoy the beautiful music about the cross from Keith and Kristen Getty, The Power of the Cross.
power of the cross, Keith and Kristen Getty. Isn't that beautiful? You know, I was in Japan a number of years ago trying to, uh, I was singing during a concert tour, and it was difficult for me to figure out how I was going to talk to them about Jesus. It's a totally different culture where Jesus is not a common name. And the whole idea of sin and forgiveness and across some things we pick up culturally and we are further along in being able to understand. But in a foreign culture like that where Shintoism and other kinds of, there are very few Christians in Japan, I struggled with that. And finally, I felt that God was leading me to use one of their cultural understandings. They had this uh, Asian culture's um, um, there is something that they term shame. It's the English word for it. It's, it's disgrace. It's shame. You can bring shame upon yourself. You can bring shame upon your family. Uh, Japanese, often businessmen or students will kill themselves because they feel they have not performed as well as they should have. They have brought shame or they have failed a class or something and they brought shame and they can't bear the shame and there's no remedy for that shame. And it seemed to me that that was the way then. That was the key for me to talk to the audiences to help them understand that Jesus came to take away their shame. I find myself at a loss in this culture knowing how to express or explain the depravity that we each experience and are. We are we were conceived in sin. That doesn't mean that sex is a sin. It means that a sin was always there with us. It was there from the time that Adam and Eve uh, rebelled against God uh, in the garden. A sin is, by being born into this world, you're part of sin. You have a sin nature. Well, what does that mean? Especially now when we we uh, tell our daughters they're princesses, everything they do, we say, that's great. Oh, that's good. That's wonderful. Uh, when we don't speak to each other harshly, no one has ever rebuked. Any kind of um, retribution or punishment is uh, now become wicked and evil. We're not just supposed to be making anyone feel bad, and so people don't feel bad. Uh, they think to themselves, oh, I, I'm good. I'm a good person. I've heard that so many times. I actually think, you know, people of my generation don't struggle with this because we came, we were brought up differently. <laughs> we were brought up, trust me, <laughs> to understand shame. We were, uh, we were, um, we were uh, disciplined for our so-called sins, our disobedience, and we understood what it meant to to uh, uh, to disappoint, to hurt, to be prideful. We were disciplined for lots of things. And so sin is something that we understand better, but our children and their children, I don't think understand it as fully. I'm not sure I can unlock that key, except when the Holy Spirit starts to move in people's hearts, they see themselves for who they really are, not as compared to their buddies, to their teachers, to people online, to people in movies, but as compared to the one that created them and his expectation for them, then they understand their shortcomings. I, I can't manufacture that. I can't manufacture that. And I would just pray for each of you listening to me that God would somehow help you to understand, uh, to see yourself clearly, to see yourself clearly. I guess if you think about that moment in time where maybe there is something you felt you did was wrong, 
uh, just imagine that everyone knew about that and it was multiplied in spades, that may be a secret thing that you do that you don't tell people about. You just instinctively know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. But when the Holy Spirit reveals that to you it uh, in the light of the holiness of God, it's unbearable. It really is unbearable, and that is sin. Interestingly enough, I referred to Isaiah earlier, and I referred to my Jewish friends, Bob and Al, Bobby and Al, who are teaching our uh, study of Isaiah. Isaiah, of course, was written again, 700 years before Jesus was ever born. And Bobby and Al said when they started to explore, uh, they were Jewish, of course, going to the synagogue, uh, but something made them start thinking about the Messiah. And they were reading their way through the Old Testament, and they came to the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, and again, written 700 years before Christ. And it started to bother them when they read Isaiah 53. And they went to see their rabbi, and they asked him to please explain Isaiah 53. And he didn't know what it was. He took down his uh, scripture, his whatever he called his scripture, and looked for Isaiah 53, looked at it for a second, shut the book, and put it at, back in the, uh, in the case. He said, I don't want to talk about that. Isaiah 53 goes like this, 700 years written before Jesus was born. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? By the way, this is in the passage, the Old Testament, written 700 years before Jesus. Uh, it is the, the description of God bringing salvation. Okay, so that much uh, the Jew, Jewish people would know. For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As, and as from one who men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. I'm going to read that again. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, that's Jesus, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. 
Uh, and there's more to Isaiah 53, but remember the rabbi wouldn't read it. It was just too close. It was a prophecy of Jesus, that he was despised and rejected of men, uh, that he was someone that they scoffed and laughed at. They didn't take him seriously. And all of that came th- true. And, of course, Jesus himself knew what he was going to go through. He asked God to deliver him. If, if it would be possible, Lord, deliver me. Don't Please, if it would be possible, some other way. He's cr- he didn't cry, but he sweat great, great drops, they said, so as of blood, and asked God to please not make him go through what he knew he was going to go through, which part, in part was separation from God. And he did that, as prophesied by Isaiah 700 years before his birth, to save you from your shame, your, your guilt, your secret thing that you do that thing that you maybe, maybe you have some shame over something, that's what he did. It's been the same for every generation since that time. And that's why so many people are so grateful. Like me, I am so grateful. I can't tell you. I guess I never had a problem understanding my shame or my sin. I never had a problem. I saw it very clearly. And Jesus saved me. He saved me so radically. That sin that Jesus paid for is sin past and present. There's nothing we have done that cannot be forgiven and washed away by the blood. Years ago, I was in a camp working, and a 19-year-old college student came to me. I was pretty young myself then, and uh, I had been teaching Bible study, and he came to me, and he said, I, I think I, he says, I feel like I can't breathe. I have this weight on my chest. I, 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 need, I think I need Jesus. And uh, this is from being in the Bible study that I was teaching. And so I, I prayed for him, and honestly, it was not no powerful thing of me. I just prayed a salvation that Jesus, that he would, I helped him to, guided him to repenting for his sins and asking Jesus to come in. And when he finished, he started crying. He said, it's like a weight has been lifted off my chest. A weight has been lifted off my chest. I will never forget that. And that's the way all of us feel who have come to Jesus. And I want all of you listening to me today to understand that that can happen for you. And when it does, you can join with our next artist, Charity Gale, in singing this incredible song, Thank You, Jesus. I was rich I remember who I was I was lost I was blind I was running out of time Sin separated The breach was far too wide But from the far side of the chasm You held me in your side So you made a way across the great divide left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside and there at the cross you paid the debt I owe broke my chains freed my soul for the first time I had hope Say 
on AFR Talk. All right, Sandy Rios back with you. This is the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, one of my favorites. And uh, it's just a praise song uh, for people that have come to Christ and had the experience of having their sins forgiven. And that can be you today. That can be you. No fancy words, just, Lord, I'm so sorry. 
I do believe in you. Come into my life and change and transform me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let's listen.
let's put our hands together and worship the Lord. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. You see the theme today? The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's the Son of God. You know, there's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like that. There's no Buddha did not sacrifice. He didn't humble himself to save you. Muhammad never did that. He's the prophet. Uh, none of the world religions offer anything like Jesus. And that's where God sent him, the only son he had and let him die a brutal death in order to save God's other children, that's you and me, if only we will receive him and confess our sins. It sounds so fantastic. It just sounds like an like a unbelievable story, and yet I have watched it. Not only has it changed my life, I've watched it change the lives of so many of my family members and my friends. I've seen people, like my own husband, the former FBI agent, I've seen Jesus transform his life. I had a front row seat to that. So I don't know who you are today or where you are, but I just pray that something that we've said has resonated with you and that you don't go through this coming year and the years to come without the knowledge of God. Why? Because as, as Bruce said when he became a Christian, he told me this. He said, it's now things make sense. Things make sense. Life makes sense. It didn't make sense before. I had a, a, a guy in a refugee camp in Thailand once say the same thing to me through an interpreter. I asked him what had changed about his life, and he said he had just become a Christian. He'd been in a Buddhist camp. He said, it's changed the way I think about things, and it gives you a hope and a future. Let's listen. Late. 